Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. This is the second week of our series that we call Grace Stories here at Grace Redeemer Church, where we get the privilege of hearing from various members in our congregation about what God has done in their life. We're going to do something a little different this morning. We're going to do an interview style. Hey, Paul. Good to see you, brother. And uh, if one of the deacons could go ahead and grab us a couple of mochiatos, that'd be great. Um, little little milk and sugar in mine. Um, Paul's story is a remarkable one. It's a story of grace. It's a story of trust in God, which you're going to hear as, as Paul and I talk through his story. Um, so, uh, Paul, again, thank you for, for being willing to, to share your story with us this morning. And uh, what, what Paul and I want to do this morning, thank you, Bruce, is uh, go ahead and, and give everyone a little bit of a summary of, of Paul's experience growing up with epilepsy and how Paul's faith has been a rock for him in the midst of that struggle. So, Paul... Um, First of all, brother, if you would be willing to share with all of us just a little bit about yourself, uh, such as uh, where do you work and what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Well, Josh, I work at Home Depot in Mawa, and the stuff that I like to do on the free time is I like to like try to get some school in and hang out with friends, watch some videos, play some video games, the easy stuff. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. You, you enjoy working out as well, right? Yes. I love okay. working out. Okay. Um, Paul, how many one-handed push-ups can you can you do right now? About six reps. Okay. All right. The amount of one-handed push-ups that I can do will remain undisclosed at this time. Um, Paul, on the other hand, is uh, quite uh, quite the athlete. Paul, but uh, let's let's go into your story a little bit, brother. Tell us the first time that you had a seizure. First time I had a seizure was 15 months old in Disney World. Wow, so you were 15 months old. Your family was on vacation at the time, yes. right? And um, did the seizures ever stop from that time, or did you continue to have them? I continued to have them. Usually, like, every month I had it, and if it was lack of sleep, I would have, like, every two weeks or less. Even. So. Okay, so sleep was critical um, for you growing up, having a seizure at least once a month. And when you were a kid, uh, because of epilepsy, were there things you missed out on doing because of having seizures? Yes, like some uh, sports games. Like I would love to have played football, but that can injure your head anyway. And I had to be cautious on wrestling because that can cause it. So, yeah. Okay, wrestling, football. You've also mentioned that um, you you had to have a, a strict bedtime, right? Yes, I had to make sure I get to bed uh, early enough to get at least like eight hours of sleep, but still early because lack of sleeping caused me to have a seizure. Okay. And um, were you ever hospitalized growing up because of your seizures? Yes. I went to like hospitals like so many times, like where I had severe seizures. My, my parents had to call the ambulance to come and take me because they're like nonstop seizures. So, yeah. Hmm. And Paul, you've shared with us now just a little bit about some of your physical struggles. You've also shared with me um, some of the other struggles you had growing up. You shared with me a story 
about when you were in fifth grade. Would you be willing to share that? Yes. When I was in fifth grade, I went to a science school and a church before, and I had kids made fun of me for how hard it was to learn in school. Hmm. So even at church, you had people uh, being jerks to you. And um, how about when you turned 17, were you able to get a New Jersey driver's license? Apparently, I was not able to drive because you're at least supposed to be two years without seizures. Well, hey, again, at least I don't have to pay for the gas. Okay. Very true. Very true. And Paul, now um, I think we all have a little bit of a, a sense of of uh, your story of growing up with seizures. I want to transition to talking about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the role that that has played in your life. So first, could you um, just let us know, how long have you known the Lord? As long as I can remember. As long as I, and um, so you grew up in a Christian home, right? Yes, I was born in a Christian family. Wonderful, huge blessing there. Um, so you've you've known the Lord as long as you can remember and in the midst of your struggle with epilepsy, how have you been able to keep your eyes on Jesus? By having faith. By having faith in God. What, what a, what a uh, simple statement of trust in God. And um, you shared with me, um, by the way, for those of you who don't know, Paul and I have got, had, I've had the privilege of spending a lot of time with Paul over the last few years over lunches, and he is um, constantly stressed his faith in Jesus through the different things he's gone through. And so your faith, Paul, has sustained you through these years, but you've also shared with me that there have been difficult times for you. Have you ever been scared about your future? Yes, I have been. Okay, and could you share with us, um, I know you had, um, recently you had two major brain surgeries um, at Columbia uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital in the city. And can you share with us a little bit about um, some of the things you, you were pos- afraid of with those surgeries? Sure. Like about two years ago when I was like 18, I had my first surgery in Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. And it took a while. To, like That's when they put wires in my brain to find the seizures. And I had to get lack of sleep. I had to like stay up like 48 hours because lack of sleep causes seizures, and um, so it was three weeks. And uh, I was nice to the doctors and nurses. I put most of it on my parents. <laughs> and um, you also mentioned to me that I think particularly with the last surgery, there was um, some risk of, of uh, the language part of your brain. Is that right? Yes. Uh, for the second surgery that I had in uh, September last year was uh, a risk because they did say it could take a little of my language away, but thank God that it was uh, fine and there was proof. And um, it's all thanks to my family and friends for all the prayers and, uh, you know, that because um, I was worrying. So uh, that helped me go for the surgery because I was worried on what could happen. So it's all thanks to my friends and family. Hmm. Yeah, so just to, to summarize what Paul's saying here, um, as he shared with me, uh, particularly with the second surgery, as they were, um, the doctors were mapping out Paul's brain to locate the source of the seizures, there was a risk um, of, 
as they were doing a surgery that you could lose some of your language ability, Paul. And I remember seeing yeah. your faith as you you knew that possibility, and yet um, the faith that you had going forward with that surgery. Paul, I want to ask you this question. How do you keep trusting God even when He doesn't answer your prayers quite like you want Him to? Because I believe it's His way of having us growing stronger in Him. He can put us through difficulties sometimes, and we may not even understand. Same thing like I say in Job in the Bible. Hmm. He didn't understand what God was doing. Yeah, that's a, that's a phenomenal example um, of... of, of trusting God even when we don't know His future plan. And I've seen you do that in your life. And so let me ask you this final question to wrap up our interview, Paul. What would you say to anyone out here today listening to your story who is suffering, who is scared, or who is feeling weak in their faith? Well, I say, Josh, that anyone who's having a hard time with anything, just remember to have faith. And know that God is in control and he has a plan for all of you. Amen. Would you all join me in thanking Paul for sharing his story today? Paul, uh, let me go ahead and pray for you, brother. Heavenly Father, we worship you. We thank you for each and every person that is redeemed by your grace and who brings you honor and glory through the work that you've done in their lives. I thank you for Paul. I thank you, Lord for the faith, the, the steady faith I have seen in this brother's life for over two years through major brain surgeries, through um, all kinds of struggles, Lord. And, Lord, just to see his positive attitude, his, his trust in you, Lord Jesus, is an example to us all, Lord. And I pray that now as we think about this topic of faith, Lord, you would be at work in all of our hearts. We, Lord, we continue to pray for Paul that he would be free of seizures that you would continue to work in his life, uh, Lord, but we commit his future to you in faith just as he has done, and we know that you are a good God. And we thank you for this time now. It's in Jesus' name that we share. Amen. Thank you, Paul. I still remember meeting Paul for the first time around two years ago. And I noticed Paul's cheerfulness. The ease with which he laughs. And if you spend time around Paul, you'll notice that. His upbeat attitude toward life. And when Paul um, shared with me about his epilepsy, I, my reaction was what I'm guessing um, all of our reactions would be when you first hear that, which is, what a difficult struggle to have. What a difficult thing to deal with in life. And Paul, I know, along with his parents, Dave and Elaine, would be, certainly be the first ones to tell you that it hasn't been an easy road. There have been many struggles. There have been many hard days. And yet, I have never heard Paul rage at God. Of course, I've heard him say many times that he wants to be free of seizures. I've heard him express his fears, um, such as when he shared with us about his last two brain surgeries and particularly that risk of the language part of his brain um, potentially being affected. Who wouldn't be scared of, of something like that? But I have never heard Paul rage at God. Instead, what I have heard from Paul over and over again in different settings is his faith in God springing and springing out of that faith a peace 
about God's control in his life. And I can tell you, I've spent enough time with this brother to recognize a real, living, vibrant faith in God. Not a superficial faith. There's a, there's a superficial faith that I think we've all seen. Uh, it's a faith which looks strong from the outside, but when the trial comes, it crumbles. Jesus spoke about this kind of faith when he talked about the seed being scattered on different kinds of ground and, and how some seed will spring up quickly, but then it was, is choked away through the struggles of life. And I bet all of us know someone who has turned away from God because of disappointment or anger with God. Their faith was fine as long as everything was okay in their lives. But then when trouble came or pain or disappointment or loss, their faith went by the wayside. And through Paul's testimony this morning and through uh, Hebrews 11.1, I want us to look at what does faith look like for the Christian. I just want to read one verse to you all. It's, it's on your screen. Um, the author of Hebrews says this, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. In 2006, the skin and hair care company Dove, we all know Dove, put out a very interesting ad which created a buzz throughout um, probably the whole world, certainly the Western world. And it was a one-minute time-lapsed commercial. You can go on YouTube, by the way, and just type in um, Dove Evolution. And um, it'll take you one minute to watch this, this commercial. And in this ad, a pretty but ordinary-looking woman sits down in front of a camera. And it's like you're watching a movie and fast-forward, and you watch this woman be transformed into a model. And so you see her, her hair is done, her makeup is done, and uh, eventually, and then, and then you also, then a, a mouse appears on the screen and you see her face being photoshopped, digitally enhanced to the point where by the end of the one minute clip, uh, the woman, uh, it's hard to even recognize her from the person that first sat down. And uh, her face is then put up on a billboard and the tagline at the bottom of, at the end of the commercial from Dove is, no wonder our picture of beauty is so distorted and, um, and so unrealistic. And by the way, if parents, if you are a parent of a teenage girl, I, I view this as mandatory watching for you all. Um, or if you have a, a, a young girl who's headed toward the teen years. But the point of the commercial was that our conceptions of beauty are so often unrealistic. And in the same way, True, living, vibrant, biblical faith doesn't look perfect from the outside. It doesn't look down on other people and say, stop complaining, just have more faith. It isn't prideful or judgmental. It doesn't dismiss the pain and the hardship and the loss that inevitably come into all of our lives in whatever form that they come in. It's not like an airbrushed face on a magazine cover where everything is perfect, when the truth is the model spent hours having her makeup done and then her face photoshopped on a computer. Biblical faith is more like the beauty of someone's face whose imperfections magnify the beauty that surrounds them. Biblical faith has the ring of authenticity 
Paul will tell you it has not always been easy. He has not given me, when I have met with him, just easy, cliche answers about what it's like. But he, he has prayed to God for healing. He has been scared. He has wondered what God's plan will be in his life. But through all of it, he has kept his faith in God. He knows that God loves him and is in control of all things. That's what real, authentic faith looks like in Scripture. What else does it look like? Biblical faith in God is a clinging to Jesus in living personal trust. It's not dependent on our circumstances, nor is it dependent on our understanding as though we have to have an answer to all the questions that we have um, to God about our lives. Biblical faith doesn't say, well, until I have an answer for every question I can possibly have, then I'll have faith. St. Augustine put it like this. Do not seek to understand in order to believe but believe in order that you may understand. And Augustine was not saying, check your brain at the door. What he is saying is, rather have a recognition, there's always going to be things in life that we don't fully grasp or fully understand. In fact, no one lives their lives with a complete understanding of everything you believe in. Just think of love, for example. Think of trying to fully explain love, but we all experience it. Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is a firm confidence. It's an assurance, or we might say this, it's a confident assurance in God's promises. Confidence is different from arrogance, if you think about it. The arrogant person is arrogant because of their own abilities. They're arrogant because of their pride, because of what they believe about themselves. But biblical faith is confident and not arrogant because it's in God And it's not in ourselves. It's like this. Biblical faith is like when a three-year-old girl is crossing a busy Manhattan street holding on to her father's hand. She trusts her daddy implicitly. All throughout her three-year-old life, she has seen evidence of his love. She can't present a 30-page thesis as to why she is willing to cross that street with her daddy's hand, holding her daddy's hand, but she can tell you that her daddy loves to sing Frozen songs with her. And um, the the identity of this three-year-old and dad shall go unnamed. But as they enter the crosswalk, she is squeezing her daddy's hand, but in truth, it's her father's grip on her hand that is the true source of her safety, isn't it? It was, if there was a sudden emergency in the street, like a reckless car running a red light, her father would immediately act and pull her to safety. If she was tempted to suddenly dart out into the street before the crosswalk changed, it is her father's grip that would hold her tight. Her trust in her dad is real. It is the object... It, excuse me. Her trust in her dad is real. It's based on evidence and it's expressed in action. But the most important thing about it is the object of her faith, which is her Father's love. True, for, true faith, brothers and sisters, it brings with it a certainty about the future, which affects the present. And the word that the author of Hebrews uses is hope. It manifests itself in hope. Think what it's like to hope for something that you're not certain about. If you are... Um, 
let's say you, you're wanting a promotion at your work. You're wanting an advancement or perhaps a new job and you're uncertain about whether or not you're going to receive that. So you may be racked with fear. You may wonder, what if I don't get that job or that promotion? But when you hope for something that you know is coming with certainty, as our text says, it's a totally different experience. Think of an engaged couple who's waiting for their wedding day. Or think of children on Christmas morning waiting to open their presents. They're not wondering if they're going to get presents unless, you know, their parents are still doing the coal thing versus the present thing. But I think that's going out of style these days. They know presents are coming. They are confident in things not seen. Their hope is certain. And when your hope is certain, the emotion that fills you is not fear, but rather it is confident anticipation about what is coming. And it's an anticipation that motivates itself, that, that manifests itself in hope that can carry you through any trial. I'll tell you something interesting. Sociologists have actually done studies of athletes, and they have done studies of telling athletes to focus on the finish line. And they've asked them various questions, said, said to athletes, focus on the finish line. And they've said to another group of athletes, focus on something else in the horizon. And consistently in these tests, the athletes have said that when you focus on the finish line, it appears closer than if you focus on something else in the horizon. They've asked athletes to say, how far away do you think the finish line is? Ask one group and then ask another group. And the athletes that are focusing on the finish line consistently say it appears closer to them. I've seen Paul's faith carry him through two brain surgeries. And I've seen countless other Christians see their faith through their own trials. Hebrews 12, right after this, the chapter right after 11 says, to fix our eyes on Jesus and the hope of glory that comes from knowing Him. Let me say this in conclusion. I wish, brothers and sisters, I truly wish this, that I could stand before you today and tell you that Paul will never have another seizure in this life. That, of course, continues to be our prayer it continues to be our hope. And it is my understanding from talking to the Chandlers that the surgeries could one day lead to Paul being seizure-free. But of that I cannot be certain. And only time will tell. But I can say with total certainty to Paul and to all of you that when Paul is in his resurrection body, he will be seizure-free that that which he cannot see now will be a reality. His faith will be sight. And for now, his faith is the guarantee or the evidence of that which he cannot see. It is the assurance in his heart that one day epilepsy will be a distant memory and all of God's promises will be true in his life. And in the meantime, Paul and all of us, in whatever struggles we have, are called to exercise faith. Confident anticipation in the future because our, our confidence is in God. And one way Paul mentioned this, I'm just going to conclude with this. Paul will be the first to tell you that um, others' prayers have meant so much to him through his struggle with epilepsy. Other people's encouragement, their prayers 
And I think Paul himself knows as well how much his own story has encouraged other believers in their walk. And so let me end by encouraging us to pray for Paul. But on a larger scale, let me encourage us to share our difficulties with one another, our struggles, whatever they may be, that we may be used of God to help sustain one another's faith. God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in weakness. Let us pray. Lord, we, we praise You. You're the God of, of all people. You're the God of all circumstances. And we thank You for a faith which continues to trust You in very hard circumstances, Lord. We thank You for the way that Paul has given You much glory this morning to testifying to Your faith. And we lift this brother up to You and we lift up all, all of our needs, Lord God. You know our hearts. You know exactly what's going on in the hearts of each one of us this morning. We pray, Lord God, that through Your grace You would sustain and strengthen our faith. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.